Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, I discuss a Reddit poll where scientists were asked what kind of experiments they would perform if they were not bound by morals and ethics. I was disappointed by both how non-offensive some people's ideas of being unethical were, and on the flip side, deeply disturbed by what some of these scientists wanted to do to children. And that got me on a path of looking up real-life unethical experiments that took place, and spoiler alert, most of them involve testicles. Then Brett discusses a fang-tastic mockumentary comedy that does not suck. This piece of content staked its claim right through his heart with its clever writing and hilarious cast. So get out of the sunlight already, not just because you have skin like mine that burns in the moonlight, but because Brett is talking about what we do in the shadows of TV series. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Long time no see. I know, man. It's been way too long since we recorded last. But here yeah. we are, back in the trap. Yeah, I can't wait to catch up with you. I'm in uh, Sydney, down under. Oh, living, well, good day, mate. Living my best life. <laughs> as soon as we finish, I'm going to be out the door and I'm flying to Singapore tonight. Um, oh but my yeah, God. it's nice to be back at work because August was my vacation month, which means I didn't work at all. And it was pretty awesome. Well, yeah, that doesn't sound too bad either. <laughs> no, nope. pretty much like a dream month, honestly. Yeah, just a little bit of paragliding, lots of content. How many paraglide flights have you done now? Oh, I don't know, like maybe 38. Oh, man. Tell me about that a little bit. That sounds awesome. Uh, it's very addictive. I just can't stop thinking about paragliding. That's faded a little bit, but as soon as I start to talk about it or think about it, it's all I think about and it's all I want to think about. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of like when you start skydiving too. Yeah. Is it along the same lines or do you think it's more addictive? Uh, Well, right now for me, it's more addictive, but it's just something new, something novel, something exciting. It has all the like technical aspects of skydiving, you know, lots of like gear, uh, a lot of uh, like muscle memory, like a good portion of like knowledge and then things that you just can't learn out of a book. You need hands on experience and like direct feedback. Oh, man. And then do you think those canopies are harder to fly than parachute wings? Um. I, 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 I don't know enough to answer that question. I think some things are like easier. I mean, you're definitely not coming down as quickly. Like it, it feels hard to have a bad landing and paragliding, but I say that and people get hurt paragliding. So I don't know. I, I haven't had like any like crazy downwinders or cross landings. Like sometimes it's hard to get down paragliding. Like you can be stuck up for hours. Oh, man. Yeah, it seems like it's way more weather dependent than skydiving. Very too. much I've so. seen some yeah. crazy videos of paraglider collapses. It's like things that I feel like a, a skydiving wing would just fly right through. Definitely. But it's like so much wider, right? And the lines are so much longer. So you're dealing with inherently a, 
less stable platform in weather, correct? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you can get collapses on, um, the, uh, what's the term for the high ratio, like the, the longer to the wing, the, the wingspan to wing cord ratio. What's the name for that aspect ratio? I don't know. I'm just it's an aspect skydiver. Ratio. You're the <laughs> professional airline man. <laughs> It's a, I think it's the aspect ratio. So the yeah, higher aspect right. ratio, like if you get in like a aggressive downdraft and you're not putting pressure on the brake lines and curling the trailing edge of that wing back a little bit. Yeah. Those things can definitely just fold up on you for sure. Skydiving Ooh. wings. It's, it's hard to get those to fold up. Yeah, it really is. Well, that hey, sounds so- awesome, man. The videos you've been sending us look really cool and that's Definitely something I wish I had the time for. Seems awesome to take up another air sport. Just sell your kids. <laughs> yeah, just think of all the paragliding I could afford. <laughs> uh, speaking of skydiving, uh, it sounded like you almost got into something fun today, but you wouldn't tell me much uh, about it. We almost went skydiving today. Yeah, we were. Uh, I got tapped at the last minute by our buddy Rusty Lewis, who was on the show back in the day. He did the. Uh, you remember the Tom Cruise. Uh, Mission Impossible episode. Oh yeah, he did I remember all those that guy. Skydives with Tom yeah. Cruise. You remember? You remember yeah. Rusty, my old well, boss. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, we were gonna do a demo at a Wings Over the Rockies down in Centennial Airport, and so at three thirty today, I drove about ten minutes over to Erie Airport, which is just right next to my house, and then met Rusty there. We took off. We flew to his house. He lives uh, kind of out by DIA on another airport. He has a fly-in house now, so he we flew into his house, and then uh, his buddy has a DC three, and he was gonna fly us in this DC three, which is like kitted out in like 1970s chic. It's got like recliners in it and stuff. It's it was basically like an airline back in the day, and we were gonna fly that over this uh, Vietnam POW. Uh, it was like a like a fundraiser at Wings of the Rockies, and then jump in. So we all flew out there. We were ready to go on the ramp, and then the winds gusted up to 20 knots, and FAA was there, so everything was regulated down to 15 knots. Mm. So we got hosed on the ramp, but we got to go and eat a bunch of uh, free fundraiser food, which was nice, and then <laughs> flew back with Rusty at night, which was awesome, man. I haven't, I haven't done a ton of night flights, especially not night flights like landing in a small plane. Most of, the, most of the small plane night flights I've done have been skydives. And so you get out, and it's like a whole different world. But flying back into Erie Airport near my house was really cool, and landing at night was awesome. So even though the, the jump was a bust, it was still a pretty fun experience. Just yeah, delayed our recording by an hour. You're, you're kind of like a uh, terrorist like that. You're always taking off, but you're never landing. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, sky <laughs> terrorist. That's me. That's why I learned to skydive in the first place. <laughs> oh man well i'm sorry to get a jump in there but uh yeah that's that's pretty awesome rusty is definitely quite the aviator and as we were coming in he was like oh man coming coming in here at night with 20 mile an hour crosswind is not uh not ideal and i was like man it's a good thing you're rusty lewis then because i don't (laughs) think i'd want to be landing with anyone else and uh he totally nailed it oh man so that's awesome yeah, it was great. So uh, 
now that we're caught up, hey, why don't we catch up anyone that's new for the show? Uh, anyone that is, this may, might be your first episode listening to the Content Clearinghouse. We'll give you a little rundown on what we do here. Uh, clearly, we spend a lot of time just catching up because Brett and I are great friends and we don't get to see each other that often. But uh, after that, we always uh, we start the show off with an off-topic discussion. We call it an off-top around here. It's really just anything that we find fascinating. And then uh, at the end of the show, or the, the meat of the show, if you will, we do a content piece where we profile a piece of content that we love with the express intention of making you, the audience, also love that thing and hopefully make you want to go out and consume that piece of content as well. And uh, I got to say... We're pretty good at it, or at least Brett is, because, man, he sold me on a bunch of content over the years. And hopefully, Brett, I've sold you on a bunch of content as well. My entire content circuit is just made up of things you've told me about. That's pretty much how it is for me, too. So hopefully you guys, the listeners, fall into that same category. And you love all this stuff that we recommend, because uh, that's why we do the show. We love selling people on content. Man, the big content should hire us, don't you think? Because... Uh, <laughs> We're really good at selling content. <laughs> <laughs> you think there's a content commission out there and we can yeah, get a commission? Content for... cabal. <laughs> the big, yes. The big content cabal. I think that's yeah, called Disney, isn't it? Di yeah, or, I think that's uh, it. They own everything. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, with that in the rear view, why don't we get started on uh, the off top, buddy? You want to hear what I got for you today? Yeah, I cannot wait. Lay it on me. Oh, man. Brett, all right, so I got a question for you. Classic, classic <laughs> content clearinghouse. So how do you feel about ethical experimentation? Oh, do you God. think it's necessary, or do you think <laughs> it's just science holding back? <laughs> I mean, I am okay with experimenting on humans, but for, for God's sakes, leave the animals alone. They didn't do anything. We uh, eat them. We wear their fur as jackets. We put soap in their eyes. <laughs> put lipstick on I don't even know why them. that's necessary. Yeah. Don't put oh, lipstick on a pig. Oh, that's to make prettier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just a saying, well, but yeah. I found this article on IFL Science, which I think stands for IFuckingLoveScience.com, <laughs> which is a website so riddled with pop-ups and overlaid ads that I could hardly get to the article within so I slogged through all of their intrusive advertising to get to this admittedly interesting article where they ask scientists on Reddit what kind of experiments they would perform if they had no morals or ethics, which uh, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good concept. That's a article. great premise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what kind of scientists were they asking? Were they posing this question? Oh, there's a to? bunch of different, just a bunch of different scientists here. There's like, you'll see. I got some. Okay. Brett, why don't you just stick around for this off top and you'll you'll find out. So one user named Recalculant Jerk wrote, I want to take DNA from infamous serial killers like Dahmer or Albert Fish or the like, clone them, and then have the baby raised in a normal, supportive, loving family. I'd study the kids all the way through adulthood to see how much is nurture and how much is nature. And when I read that, I was like, that's honestly not that bad. That kind of seems like you'd be doing these serial killers DNA a service, if you ask me. Just avoid head injuries when they're children, and they would probably be fine. So I didn't really feel like that was that unethical, honestly. No, so, no that's you're just like taking care of a kid the way it's supposed to. And that's, making yeah. them better than they were. Yeah. 
So another one named uh, Philly Selfie wrote, I, I experiment on ancient coins. Museums are generally against me doing a full compositional analysis of, as that would involve me dissolving the whole coin in acid, but it sure would tell us a lot more. And I, I read that and I was like, uh, what? I must have a very incorrect definition of what unethical means. Because that doesn't seem like it touches on any ethics. That's just a guy destroying some coins. So that, haven't, that haven't was, these uh, people ever heard of like Joseph Mangala? I mean, I'm glad that they're. I know exactly. <laughs> Are you even trying? <laughs> All right, here's another one, Brett. Let's see how you feel about the ethics on this one. This guy Spoonwood Tangle wrote, "I want to create miniature elephants through ingenious genetic manipulation. I'll be able to miniaturize any living animal. Animal like this guy wasn't even trying to be unethical. I don't think that he understood the assignment. That just sounds adorable." I know. Are we eating right. the baby elephants? Maybe if we're going to put lipstick on them, on the end yeah. of its trunk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Try this one on, Brett. Flying, Blat, uh, Flying Bat Beaver wrote, I liked... Oh, oh God. I don't even <laughs> want to read this. <laughs> I, okay. I want to know how long it would take a group of children raised to puberty to figure out sex. I'm sure they'd figure out masturbation on some level, but how long would it take them to figure out tab A into slot B? The kids could be raised about as normal as possible, but within, without any mention of sex or reproduction, having that completely removed. And there would be no shame or deterrent while they figure it out. Like the caretakers would tell, wouldn't tell them, we don't do that if they found out one was masturbating or that two consenting teenagers are touching each other. This guy really made up for all these miniature elephant and coin fucks that came along earlier because that is messed up. I mean, it kind of just seems, that one, Brett? it kind of seems just like our public education system here in the United States where we don't have really good sex oh. education and people are just left yeah. figuring things out for themselves. So, yeah, I don't know. Still pretty know. tame. The, I, I don't know, man. That one, that, I would, maybe it's from having kids, but the idea, I, maybe it's because I'm envisioning these kids like all in just jammed in a room together and then they're just figuring it out on their own. It's gross. That's a rough one. Okay. So this, this one. So this guy's ni- name is Pyrocephalus Rubinus. You know who I'm talking about, Brett. <laughs> Experiments that, that with social isolation intrigue me. Raise a child with no language and see what happens. No contact. Wild children give us some insights, but also a, sam- a sample of the kind of trauma this can produce. Completely and undeniably unethical, incredibly cruel, but so intriguing. That one, I think, is really messed up. All right, now we're getting into the unethical part. Yeah. You finally sorted by it- controversial. Yeah, I I curated those in a very specific order for you. Okay. So with a lot of these, I was kind of thinking like, come on, this is as as unethical as you guys can be. This is the internet, except for that sex one and that last one about social social isolation. Like those are seriously messed up. Those are like how you get a Homelander, I feel like, if you raise a kid that way. Yeah. And we've all heard of like medical experiments the Nazis performed or like the Japanese during world war two with unit Seven Thirty One. Uh, so I'm not going to go into all that, but I found another list on discovermagazine.com by a writer named Allison Fullerman of some really messed up medical experiments that have actually been conducted. And wouldn't you know it, Brett, they were all done by Americans. 
No Nazis or Japanese war criminals needed for this one. I mean, these are just so, the ones we we know about, though. These are just the ones that were in this one list. Oh and, yeah, okay. Yeah, these are these are pretty messed up. These are all experiments that actually happened. So there was an experiment. Uh, an experiment. It was an endocrinologist who irradiated prisoners when the atomic. Energy Commission wanted to know how radiation affected male reproductive function. They looked to endocrinologist Carl Heller in a study involving Oregon State Penitentiary prisoners between 1963 and 1973. Heller designed a contraption that would irradiate their testicles at various varying amounts to see what effect it had, particularly on sperm production. The prisoners were also subjected to repeated biopsies and were required to undergo vasectomies once the experiment concluded. Just irradiating these guys' balls, man. That is... it's. There was definitely an era where if you were a prisoner, you were just basically like fodder for evil scientists to experiment on. Yeah, definitely. S- and there was this other one, the aptly named Monster Study. Uh, pioneering speech pathologist Wendell Johnson suffered from severe stuttering that began early in his childhood. His own experience motivated his focus on finding the cause and hopefully a cure for stuttering. He theorized that stuttering in children could be impacted by external factors such as negative reinforcement. And in 1939, under Johnson's supervision, Graduate student Mary Tudor conducted a stuttering experiment using 22 children at an Iowa orphanage. Half, re- half received positive reinforcement, but the other half were ridicu- ridiculed and criticized for their speech, whether or not they actually stuttered. This resulted in worsening of speech issues for the children who were given negative feedback. Even the kids that didn't have stuttering issues started to, de- to develop speech problems and stuttering and uh, just pathos about their own speech and you know you know what that makes me think of that that reminds me of uh wasn't it ted kaczynski the unabomber that was in like a harvard class and one of the professors worked for mk ultra it was like it was part of like a cia study where they like berated the students and they and it's like one of the reasons that the unabomber became what he what he was was like he was like yeah, the result I knew of an he was, MK Ultra experiment. I knew he was involved in experiments like that. I didn't know that he was like berated and I mean I guess yeah. that was probably part of the experiment, right? Yep, yep. I don't remember the specifics like of it offhand. Yeah, totally. Super messed up. Man. It's so messed up. Especially like somebody at that stage in their life where they're just so in, influenced by their peer groups and by people they see as like in authority positions, like teachers. Yeah. All right. I got one more for you, Brett. This Play is uh, the doctor, the doctor who did testicular transplants from 1913 to 1951. Eugenist Leo Stanley. Oh, good. Was a chief surgeon <laughs> at San Quentin state prison. Oh, great. California's <laughs> oldest correctional Institute. After performing vasectomies on prisoners who he recruited through promising of improved health and vigor, Stanley turned his attention to the emerging field of endocrinology, which involves the study of certain glands and the hormones they regulate. He believed the effect of aging and decreased hormones contributed to criminality, weak morality, and poor physical attributes. Transplanting the testicles of younger men into those who were older would restore masculinity, he thought. 
Stanley began by using the testicles of executed prisoners, but he ran into a supply shortage. He solved this by using the testicles of animals, including goats and deer. At first, he physically implanted the testicles directly into the inmates, but that had complications, so he switched to a new plan. He ground up the animal testicles into a paste which he injected into the prisoners' abdomens. By the end of his time at San Quentin, Stanley did an estimated 10,000 testicle procedures. Oh, man, this guy took having no ethics to a whole nother level. I wish I could Uh. scrub my brain out with bleach. (laughs) Perfect. That's how you know it's a good off top. So now I know that some of the people who responded to this call for unethical studies on Reddit were definitely holding back. See, Brett? USA. USA does it again, buddy. Wow. But seriously, it is, it's crazy to think of how much scientific knowledge we may have today because of unethical experimentation. Like that whole testicle thing. Like I am, I for one am glad that the internet is still thinking of this shit. So next time you're celebrating your next sci-fi tech advancement or incomprehensible medical treatment to solve some ailment that would have undoubtedly killed someone in the old west just think of the poor prisoners who had his balls swapped to bring us that knowledge god bless the unethical scientists good old america buddy (laughs) well thank you for that horrible horrifying uh heart-wrenching off top that was really something else you're welcome (laughs) so what's on your content circuit um well, actually, uh, I got a couple things on my content circuit, but to help me out with this, I want to uh, invite a special guest onto the Whoa! show. Uh, you might have you might have noticed her lurking in the shadows on our three way uh, video call here. Hello, Madeline. <laughs> hello, hello! It's so great hello, to Madeline. be on the pod with you. <laughs> so, Madeline is a big fan of content. Uh, Madeline, how do you feel about unethical medical practices? Oof, you know, uh, that (laughs) definitely gave me some shivers. I'm glad we're talking about a spooky topic tonight. (laughs) And you don't even have testicles, so. I don't even have testicles, but I'm terrified of having testicles injected into my abdomen now. (laughs) See, that could happen to anybody. (laughs) Could happen to anyone. Especially in this day and age. So, Madeline, um, we spent uh, some very high quality time together on what we deemed the cuddle couch. Uh, It was just perfectly sized for our two bodies to be uh, sort of cuddled against each other watching content. Madeline is a fellow content fan, which is something I very much appreciate in a girlfriend. Um, So a couple things that are on my content circuit, we'll be talking about in the content piece. So I'm not going to mention that, of course. Um, but the boys, so this is something that Madeline wasn't quite a fan of on the first viewing, but then as I'd be watching it a little bit while she was working, I think she got a little bit more interested in maybe checking it out. (laughs) It gives kind of the same. How much of the boys did you watch, Madeline? Well, the first time I tried watching it, I watched part of the first episode, and I got to the scene with the sexual assault, 
And I don't know what mood I was in, but I I knew that The Boys was supposed to be like a cool, edgy superhero show. And then I got to that scene and I was like, oh my gosh, this is not the woman empowerment, cool, badass show that I thought. This is scary. And then Brett just kept talking about how great and funny, but also (laughs) scary it is, but for different reasons. Uh, And I kept catching those uh, scenes just as he was playing them throughout the day. So I ended up watching it. And I'm now on season two, maybe? Towards the end of season awesome. two. Uh, it's a great show. It is. Ooh, it, it really makes, is. It really makes you think. That That is a show that makes you question ethics. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And it's like such a great teardown of like the superhero culture that we've been living in since like 2010, basically. Uh, it, I think it's like such an awesome uh, counterpoint to Marvel, which we all love. And I just recently rewatched all three seasons of The Boys, also, so it's super fresh in my mind. But I just, I just love how the, the take in The Boys seems more like what would happen in the real world, like our social media-driven world and like the world of egos. The the, the idea of like a uh, superhuman, like Captain America, being like a hundred percent good is just I think it's so ridiculous in a mm-hmm. 2023 mindset. And I think that <laughs> m- superheroes would be more like Homelander easily, who is uh, one of the most fascinating characters. Anytime he's on screen, just like can't look away. I think how they put the marketing aspect into it so much and how they're constantly looking for different streams of revenue and how they're so focused on their image really just reflects exactly how we run businesses in the U.S. Because when you think about Marvel, the merchandise, so much of the Marvel universe is all of the other marketing that they've done into it. And so you know that if superheroes were actually real, that would just be a huge part. And then like the little sneaky bit that the money actually comes from it being a pharmaceuticals company. Also just nail on the head for the U.S. Of course, yeah. the money is a combination of advertising and something maybe a little and how more their suspect. saves are scheduled like oh here's mm-hmm. your here's your crime plan for tomorrow you're doing a team up with the deep they like <laughs> yeah. they, they don't care about stopping crime at all it's all just oh, like a no. marketing ploy mm-hmm. it's just yeah. it's the, deep, essentially the deep just cops. wants to save uh the deep just wants to save a dolphin every once in a while that's it <laughs> ambrosia uh. wants to taste you <laughs> There's so many lines in that show where it's just like, just I'll be like watching it in bed, like at night, midnight, my wife is sleeping. I'm just like laughing out loud with my headphone in because I just can't believe some of the things that they say in that show, some of the scenarios they craft. So good. It's definitely a show. Is there anything I can't that, wait. Oh. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I cannot wait to, wait to catch up on that show and get up to date. Oh, it's so good. Was there anything that you uh, you caught this second time around, Brett, that you didn't you didn't think about, or it didn't occur to you the first time watching the show? I mean, it was interesting, uh, like getting Madeline's take too, because I had just become such a fan of the show. But the fact that uh, you know, I mean that that scene with the deep, like in the first episode, like it is, it's basically just like horrible sexual assault, and it what is fascinating about the writing of the show is that he ends up being a character that not only do I feel bad for, but he always makes me laugh when he's on screen. 
And so like, how could yeah. you write a character where like Homelander at the beginning, everybody just like exalts him. They treat him like Jesus, like he is above reproach. And so at the beginning, you're thinking like the deep is a despis- despicable piece of human trash. And and Homelander is just like this amazing, perfect superhero that everybody strives to be. And then very quickly, you realize like, oh, my God, like the deep is like so pathetic and kind of funny. And you feel kind of like bad for him. And Homelander is just like, I'm scared of him. Like, I feel like in my real day to day life, like I and we've, we've talked about this off off air. Anthony Starr, the actor, like I'm. I don't know him in anything else. I don't know any of his other work, but like Homelander, I'm scared of that character. <laughs> He's genuinely terrifying for his smile. Cause his smile is <laughs> so psychotic looking and it, it just, he has like a mannequin smile. It seems so fake and plastered on. And I'm sure that's something he, like he curated like as an actor for that character, but he just, he plays such a, perfect like insecure unstoppable psychopath and that's that's like such a a cool uh like a mental state to explore because i don't think i've really ever seen anything with a character like him like when he says i want to be loved but but if i can't i'll settle for being feared and that just kind of like wraps up everything about homelander but he tries so hard to curate his image and it's like even at the end where he's starting to cut loose, he's still thinking about that. Like he's, he's thinking about like rebranding his image in as a little bit more of a loose cannon. Cause people seem to like buy into it, which I kind of see it, it. It seems to me like kind of a response to like the whole Trump era when season three of the boys came out, it was kind of like around that same time frame, And there, there seemed to be a lot of undertones of that in season three of the boys. Definitely. But yeah, like with the deep, he, he really is, you think that, you know, I mean, with Starlight, he's able to, you know, do these horrible things because she's like new to the team and she doesn't understand what's going on and he totally takes advantage of her. But then you see later on that he is basically in that same position with everyone else. Like everyone else just totally takes advantage of him. He's like the total laughing stock. He's the joke of the entire team. And he, he's just like in the worst way, passing that down to like the new team members. And so the, the whole, the whole concept of the seven is just like a, uh, it's like a, a cycle of abuse and it's all handed down from Homelander, man. It all hits close to home. Well, speaking of, (laughs) speaking of psychopaths, another show that's on my content circuit is killing Eve. Have you ever seen this, Josh? No, I know. I, I know. Madeline's a fan of uh, Killing well, Eve. Madeline's celebrating right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, Killing Eve is a phenomenal show. Highly recommend. What's it about? Killing Eve Mads? is about a woman who um, works for a government organization and has a theory that a sil- serial killer on the loose might be a woman, and it's worth investigating more. And further, she continues to investigate, finds out it is in fact. This incredibly endearing, but absolutely psychotic uh, serial killer who is going after, or not serial killer, she's an assassin. She's a hit woman. So she's going after targets across Europe. Um, And it is just 
It's got some incredible female leads. It has incredible fashion. It has very endearing cast members. Uh, it's just a really awesome show. And I'll let Brad talk about some other really good yeah. things about it. I mean, Sandra O oh is uh, she's like an American that works for uh, British intelligence. And she like has these little streaks of like, it's almost like a crush on her or like she's like, like uh, curious about psychopathy. It's it's a real like her acting in it is really good and it's really fascinating. And I actually watched at least the first season, possibly two seasons a long time ago. I was super into Killing Eve. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. It's originally produced by BBC. Um, but right now it's on Max. And so I started rewatching it again because um, Madeline and I kind of wrapped up the show that we're going to talk about later tonight. Um, but man, on the cuddle couch, it is so on the cuddle couch, buddy. The only oh. place to uh, consume content. <laughs> Who's in Killing Eve? Um, well, Sandra O. Oh, and then I'm, I'm not super familiar with the other who that is. Oh, uh, from, from Grey's Anatomy. She's got she's no, like a, I call myself a contentologist. I don't even know. I don't <laughs> know who this is. I'll have to she, look it up, though. It's on Max. She's like a she's a I think she's Canadian American. She look she's Asian um, ethnicity. She has great like curly hair, which is something they talk about in the show. Um, but yeah, she's like famous for being in Grey's Anatomy, which I'm not a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. But yeah, Sandra O's oh incredible. And then the assassin i'm not sure who plays her in killing eve but she's just so good in it and i remember her like making the talk show circuit when killing eve first came out which is how i discovered that show to begin with um but man she is just standout in that villanelle is played by jody comer yeah i don't know her in anything else people are interesting You you should check it out man it's great it's a great show. All right. I definitely will. You know I take your content recommendations seriously. <laughs> um, finally, one last thing on my content circuit. It's called Horror Store. And uh, it's a <laughs> I book. I've showed me that at some point. I did send you a couple of pictures. So this was actually a recommendation from Madeline. She, like I said, she's a real contentologist. Um, this is a horror book. Did you is- go to Harvard, uh, Madeline? <laughs> I actually studied contentology on the West Coast. So, a bit of a rivalry program, I know. This sounds like uh, maybe some sort of a legal program, honestly. Mm. I never heard of it. Yeah, I was under the, the impression uh, that you could only get a contentology degree at Harvard. So... It might be the Brett, Phoenix program of contentology, but... Uh, yeah. You get a piece of paper, it still counts, Online. Right? You got an online degree? (laughs) I guess they had to after Harvard shut down the contentology program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, everything went online. Fair (laughs) enough. I'm going to be researching this more later, (laughs) making sure this is legit. Oh, she'll she'll earn your respect as a uh, fellow contentologist. That's for sure. Well, she's already on the way. There's some pretty good hot takes about uh, the boys earlier. (laughs) Yeah, but this book, so it's made to look like an Ikea catalog. It has like all the like maps and it has like employee forms in here. And then it has some of the like blueprints to like various furniture. But it's a horror genre or it's a horror tale that takes place within an Ikea like store called Orsk. 
Uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm just about to wrap it up. I'll definitely finish it on my next eight hour flight to Singapore. So yeah, that's been my content awesome. circuit, buddy. How about you? That's something that, uh, well, that's some, that book is something that you, uh, you read Madeline. That's something you yes. found. That's something I've previously read and it was that's originally, awesome. I think my sister found it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's like a narrative piece or is it like broken up into like little vignettes or something? It's a narrative. It is uh, a great uh, fictional story. I know, hard to believe, uh, about <laughs> being in a uh, horror-like situation with your coworkers when you're stuck on the night shift. Oh, awesome, man! I do I do so much reading through Kindle. I feel like that would not a uh, that would not work very well on Kindle. But that seems like the kind of thing that uh, might maybe actually buy a hardcover. Because the artwork and everything looks really awesome in it. It really does look just like an Ikea calendar or an Ikea. Uh, yes. It only what do they comes call out it? in uh, uh, the Ikea catalog. Yeah, the catalog, yeah. You want to call out that you can't actually buy that one in hardcover because just like an Ikea catalog, it only comes soft cover. It's just like oh, holding the book. It's awesome. great. It really makes you feel Sweet. like you're in the store. Send me a link to that, Brett. I will. I will. So, yeah, what's on I your content ha- circuit? So, I have to admit that I was actually wrong about something. Um, I went and watched Titanic after I bagged on it so hard on a, <laughs> the, one of the last shows that we recorded. I said, I don't I remember it was the you worst bagging on that, the Titanic. Uh, well, I just said that I thought that uh, James Cameron was like an infallible director except for Titanic and that movie blows. But I went and watched it again, and man, I was so wrong. Titanic actually rocks, dude. That movie is so good. Because, see, I remembered from when I watched it previously, I was like, it's like three and a half hours of love story, and then the Titanic sinks in 15 minutes. And uh, I was actually 180 degrees off. The love story is really only like 20, 30 minutes of the movie, and then the rest of the thing is like the really cool bookends at the beginning and the end of Bill Paxton down at the Titanic. And then this like huge, long extended sequence of the Titanic sinking. And I think I now watching it with fresh eyes and maybe eyes that have been trained at a legitimate contentology school, not online (laughs) Madeline, but Harvard. (laughs) uh, Now it really, it really hit with me and, I sat down and watched it, and then like the next night, I scrubbed through and watched different scenes a, a few more times, just like marveling at what James Cameron had created. I don't know what I was thinking, doubting him. He's basically the greatest filmmaker of our generation, and every genre that he touches, he just makes better. Did so, his team like threaten your kids? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Is that what it seems like? It kind of <laughs> does seem that way, doesn't it? A little bit. Yeah, for me <laughs> to go back this hard on one of my opinions. But uh, no, the James Cameron estate has not sent me any strongly worded emails, Brett. They, uh, I doubt they even know that this podcast exists. <laughs> Although, if I did get some emails from James Cameron, I would take that as a total win. Yeah. So Titanic nice. is All actually right. great. Uh, not, I don't like to admit I'm wrong much, Brett, but I'm, I will this time. And then I watched Undone. I've watched the first season of yeah. it off your recommendation. Such a good show. I haven't watched, I haven't watched season two, but man, after watching that, I can totally see why it took like whatever it was, two years for them to make basically like, was it a uh, 160 minutes of content for the first season? It's like eight 20 minute episodes or something. Yeah. Like that show seems so intensive from like a 
post-production point of view. And then the story, like the way I felt that, uh, about Alma is she really is like, she's like a developing superhero. That's kind of the sensation I got from what was happening to her. Cause she's able to use her, her powers that she starts to discover of, of, uh, traveling back in time and like viewing people's pasts. She starts to like be able to use those to manipulate like current situations and it really did seem almost like a superhero origin story. Did you get that sensation at all when you were watching it? Well, it's it's either that or she is uh, experiencing like hallucinations from some sort of mental illness, like you know schizophrenia. So, but which, she had you know, actual scenarios that she was able to pick up things about people's past, like when they're, she's trying to get into the lab. And she's able to like look into the guard's past and get information, and it's like correct information. That that was when I saw something like that. I I kind of like it started to feel more concrete that what was happening to her was real. I mean that supports the theory, and that's what I tend to believe. But I do think that the creators left it a little ambiguous. I was actually very nervous to watch season two, and this this again this was like what I watched when Madeline was working. I was like I was like streaming season two. At our place in On the uh, empty, Salt Lake City. pathetic cuddle couch with <laughs> yeah. no one to fill in the Madeline-sized divot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah. I was, like, getting quite emotional in the living room by myself. Um, uh, <laughs> not just because I was alone, but because Undone is such a freaking masterpiece of content. Um, but, no, I kind of felt like season two, I was like, oh, they picked a side. Uh, it, she does, she is a shaman. She does have superpowers, but, uh, if you finish season two, you'll be back at square one. So spoiler oh, alert, <laughs> it really takes you on quite a ride, right? I feel like, I felt like they made a definitive choice in the writing. And I, I think that it all kind of comes unraveled or undone, if you will. And then it just becomes <laughs> it just becomes uh, back to like brilliant ambiguity. And that's just one of the greatest things about the show. But uh, no, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, but that's because I want it to be real. But if you looked at that show through the lens of her having a severe mental illness, that's exactly what you'll see. And you could explain away things like her entire family does. Her entire family is explaining away her visions as a mental illness, you know, Oh, Alma hasn't taken her medication. So good. Mm -hmm. It's a really good show. Have you watched that one too, Madeline? I have not, but I have seen similarly to the boys. I am quite a bit invested in it just from watching so many scenes with Brett, but I've been a little bit better. Um, but the boys, Brett would be like, okay, you just got to watch this scene. The deep says something hilarious where with undone, I think <laughs> Brett's a little bit more guarded and been like, you just need to watch the show. Don't watch the little snippets of the scenes commit to the show because it's that good. The acting is so good. Too. It seems so naturalistic, so it, almost like it's not even scripted in a lot of parts. Just like uh, it just, seems like such real conversation that they're having. And that's, I don't think, I don't really see a whole lot of content that feels that real in the conversation. Like almost all of it seems scripted in one way, but there's a lot of it in that that just seems like they're just letting them riff and they're all just super personable people that have like good chemistry on screen. 
and it really comes through in the in the show. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good content circuit. Um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into the content. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, Madeline, you guys ready to do this thing? <laughs> ready to contentize me? Absolutely. All right. And so I... contentized. Oh, man. <laughs> Jamming and... it in my content holes. <laughs> It's and I I just want to call out too that we're all on three very different time zones and I really appreciate Madeline staying up super late. She is in uh, Florida right now and it's like almost midnight there and she has to wake up super early uh, to go to work tomorrow. So thanks, Madeline, for being on the show. I, I mean, <laughs> when so you have welcome. an online contentology degree and there's a chance to have it validated by two people that went to Harvard for real in real life, you can't pass up an opportunity like that. No, absolutely. This is the only way I'll get ahead of my peers at the Phoenix School of Contentology. That's true. I mean, I don't know if I'd be saying that out loud, but sure, whatever. So, Josh, uh, you know what you know what they say. Mockery is the sincerest form of flattery. Yes, Madeline, I was flattering your contentology degree. (laughs) So whether or not you actually agree with my intentionally misquoted platitude, uh, Madeline and I are about to flattery the fuck out of a wonderful mockumentary style television series. As any contentologist knows, which all of us are, and it is a real thing. Some Mm -hmm. of the best comedy shows in the history of content are mockumentary comedies. The Office, Community, Parks and Recreation, Veep, Arrested Development, Reno 911, Modern Family, but what if you took Spinal that genre? Tap? Yeah, well, that's so that is a mockumentary, but it's not a television series. So my list was uh, shows. But yeah, Spinal Tap is a perfect example. Best in show. Love those yeah. mockumentaries. The OG. All yep. those Christopher Guest movies. <laughs> so what if you took that genre and effortlessly blended it with some very Josh-esque elements, like lots of blood and gore? All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's time to sink our teeth into the hilariously absurd world of what we do in the shadows the tv series oh yes brett (laughs) (laughs) i love this show (laughs) i thought you did i wasn't sure though oh yeah it's great nando the what is he the destroyer nando the relentless oh the relentless that's right yeah oh they're all so lovable. Uh, so What We Do in the Shadows is created by New Zealand genius and a different Brett's other half from Flight of the Concords, Jemaine Clement. The series is actually based on the 2014 New Zealand mockumentary film of the same name, written by Jemaine Clement, as well as another Kiwi legend, Taika Waititi. This FX show premiered in March 2019 and has aired for five seasons, 10 episodes each season. Madeline and I are, and apparently you as well, we're all huge fans. Uh, Not only is it a go-to show for like traveling for me, but I'm now on my first complete rewatch. So this is the second time I've watched it like from the get-go. And actually... I've only seen like the first three seasons and I just knocked a bunch of stuff over here. So hey, amateur podcasting. (laughs) Time to watch the next two seasons. 
I do need to. And it's been a while too. So I w- there was a time, it was probably like a year and a half ago that I'd just been hearing a bunch about it. And so I was like, ah, I don't usually like stick with comedy shows, but I started watching it. And then in like three nights, I had watched like two and a half seasons of it. Cause it's just like, it's so digestible. It's like short clips. And then, yeah, like the three main characters are just so lovable and they're all just like, I love how they're just, they really play well on like the man out of time with oh, Nando totally. the Relentless. So perfect. <laughs> the energy vampire. Oh man, so many good concepts in the show. Uh, and we're getting into all of them, Josh. Yeah, Madeline <laughs> right. and I, we're, we're actually, we've been saving season five. So season five is the latest season, uh, but we want to watch it together again. So we binged all four seasons together on the cuddle couch. Yes. Oh, nice. The best place to watch it. Despite it being a gory show, it is it is a total cuddle show. It's great for falling asleep too. It's spooky and gives you great nighttime vibes. It's also got one of my favorite lines of anything that I've ever heard. When uh, the uh, you have to remind me on the names because it's been so long since I've watched it. What are, what's the the uh, the couple? Uh, the we got Laszlo and Nadia. <laughs> Yeah, so Nadia's talking about how it it it's taken her three hundred years to convince Laszlo to go down on her, and he looks at the camera and goes, "That was a mistake." It's like one of my favorite lines I've ever heard in any, in any content piece. <laughs> I became oh, a man. I became a vampire so that I could drink blood and fuck. Is that what he says, Madeline? <laughs> and drink blood and fuck forever. Oh, that's it. Drink blood and fuck forever. Uh, So before we get into some of the specifics about the show and why it's so great, I would just like to point out we're not the only ones heaping praise upon this glorious piece of timeless content. Uh, What We Do in the Shadows has received critical acclaim, particularly for its cast and writing. Uh, It has been nominated for 21 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series and multiple seasons have received a perfect 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. I think seasons three and four, or maybe seasons two and three, 100%. And the others are like 93%, 97%. It's amazing. It's been nominated for a lot of other accolades and awards as well. In fact, almost too many to count. See what I did there? Oh, yeah. Good Sesame Street reference. (laughs) Speaking of vampire puns, let's get into all the reasons why this show doesn't suck. Madeline. Oh, good one, bro. Are you going to do this the whole time? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Madeline and I are going to discuss the plot, and it's an innovative storytelling, the characters and stellar performances, the wit and humor, some behind-the-scenes magic, and finally, the unexpected depth which all makes this bloody comedy so delectably delicious. Ooh, like blood (laughs) or something? Is that what you're getting at? You got it, buddy. One of the the first reasons you need to watch what we did in the shadows is its innovative storytelling. As I've already mentioned, the show is a mockumentary, a style of presentation that presents fictional events as if they were real, often using a documentary format. Uh, This obviously isn't new in the world of comedy, The Office is, after all, one of the most beloved comedy series of all time. However, What We Do in the Shadows takes this concept and gives it a supernatural twist, creating a hilarious contrast between the mundane and the macabre. 
I love that the it has the mockumentary format, and I feel like it works so well for a fantasy show because there are just so many things that we as just mere humans, we don't fully understand. Like a great example of this is as like a viewer, it's like kind of confusing to know what the difference is between like a regular person orgy and a vampire orgy. (laughs) And like you really just need a vampire to break that fourth wall and clearly explain what the differences are. And Josh, I don't know if you remember, um, the biggest difference is the virgin sacrifice. uh, But there's like other great tidbits to still learn. I mean, I I don't know about what kind of orgies you guys have gone to, but... uh, (laughs) I went to a Guar concert once, so, mm, so still, I'm familiar. Still a staple. I feel and like, and I also like the uh, like the breaking the fourth wall. I love how they'll, they'll like stop and like look at the camera and like talk to the like give like a side eye to the the documentary crew. It just like it's like it's like perfect. It totally seems like the people that are making the show are like right there in the house with the vampires. And they, like, make it totally obvious the camera crew is there. Yes, I love when they... Because there are times where they talk to the camera crew and it very much is like, okay, we need to explain to you what this vampire concept is. But they're also sometimes explaining real-life concepts I mean, and explaining it from the guise of, it happens because of this supernatural effect. Like, oh, you didn't realize this was going on? Oh, well, it's because of the werewolves. That's why you're food, humans. <laughs> and speaking of fourth wall, I think we might have talked about this, but I actually just learned this recently. Do you know where that term fourth wall comes from, Brett? Yeah, of course. It comes from the theatre. Yeah, I just learned yeah. that recently. I thought that was so awesome. It's like the invisible fourth wall bef- between the stage and the audience. Man, oh, you must have missed that class that. at... Uh, yeah, Harvard Contentology School. Yeah, there's there's three walls on a stage, right? And then the fourth yeah. wall, which is invisible because us as the audience are sitting on the other side of it. I skipped I'm taking, a lot of classes. At I'm taking at my bow as the only contentologist <laughs> yeah. on this uh, Discord call that knew this. Hey, I mainly went degrees. to college just to party. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so back to, uh, what we do in the shadows. So the show follows four vampire roommates. We have Nandor, Laszlo, Nadja, and Colin Robinson, and their human familiar, (laughs) Guillermo, as they navigate the humdrum of modern life. From city council meetings and roommate squabbles to vampire hunting and immortality, the show expertly balances the everyday with the extraordinary. The heart of any show lies in its characters, and what we do in the shadows is absolutely no exception. The characters are as diverse as they are hilarious, each bringing their unique quirks to the table. Nandor, played by Kaven Novak, is a former warrior from the Ottoman Empire who now struggles with tasks like email and cleaning. Laszlo and Nadia, played by Matt Berry and Natasha Demetrio, are a centuries-old married couple who bring new meaning to the term, for better or for worse. Colin Robinson, played by Mark Prush, I think it is. Madeline and I looked up the uh, pronunciation for this before the show. Uh, Colin Robinson is an energy vampire who drains people's energy, not by drinking their blood, but by boring them to death. <laughs> oh, my God. I Telling love the worst stories Mark ever. Prush, Prush. Uh, I want to call out, if you 
don't remember, uh, he is no stranger to mockumentaries because he plays Nate in The Office. Both characters who wear a variety of beiges and greys, and also both characters who absolutely bore the people around them with their monotonous um, spews of random facts. I feel like (laughs) he was... His role is Nate was the perfect audition for Colin Robinson. Oh, man. Colin Robinson's so funny, too. So hilarious. Because I think everybody has known someone exactly like that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I said to Brett, and I Matt hope Barry. that... Oh, what did... Yeah. Uh, I said to Go Brett ahead. earlier, I hope that this podcast is not anyone's Colin Robinson. <laughs> oh, totally not. <laughs> I, I love Matt Barry too. He's like I'd never seen him in anything before. What we do in the shadows, but he's just like his his delivery is like deadpan delivery is so hilarious, and he just has like like he, the way he plays off of the other characters. Like pretty, I feel like everything he says is hilarious in that show. Oh my gosh, he is probably my favorite. Uh, last but not, definitely not least, we have Guillermo. And this is Nandor's human familiar. He's played by Harvey uh, Guillen, who dreams of becoming a vampire himself. I mean, these performances by the cast are nothing short of brilliant. They bring their characters to life, or should we say undeath, with such conviction Don't do it, Brett. <laughs> that you can't help but be drawn into their world. Their, their comedic timing is impeccable, and their chemistry is palpable. Oh, and I would definitely want to mention the supporting cast as well, and not just regular cast member Kristen Shaw, who is also in Flight of the Concords. Uh, she's one of my favorites from that show. But I was very surprised, Josh, to see Jake McDorman so quickly again after binge watching the Limitless series after you covered it on the show. He plays one of the best characters I have ever seen on anything anywhere. I, I must not have gotten to this part yet or I hadn't watched Limitless. I'm guessing enough to recognize him. I'm guessing it's the latter because he he's uh, like Nadja's ex-boyfriend that keeps getting reincarnated, but he doesn't remember his past lives until Nadja like hypnotizes him to remind him. Do you remember this that at does all? That sound familiar. <laughs> yeah. Is that early on? <laughs> he yeah. keeps getting decapitated. He's the one that every life he's in, <laughs> oh, yeah. he gets decapitated. <laughs> That's Jake I didn't know McDormand. That was Brian Finch. Oh yeah. man, I got to go back and watch it again now. Hundred percent. Like he's been in a lot of stuff. I didn't recognize who I was seeing. I didn't realize it until I just binged Limitless. I mean, an, another um, crazy actor that is a guest star in one of the episodes is Mark Hamill, and I didn't even recognize. I mean, I'm obviously a huge Star Wars fan, huge Mark Hamill fan. I didn't recognize him. And he plays a starring role in one of the best episodes. And, and then I was doing research for this episode and found out it was him. Crazy. But just a few more. Haley Joel Osment, Craig Robinson, Nick Kroll, Dave Bautista. And I'm not even really getting into the Vampire Council yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Been- <laughs> I want to dive into this council. I feel like for all the viewers, I want to lay a little bit of the scene here. Uh so the gang gets called to go to a council meeting. They show up at a just a generic office building, take the elevator, which they can't figure out how to work, down until the dungeons, where they're greeted by the council doing an intricate dance, which we're told that they've been working really hard at. So just everything about this scene going into it 
is ridiculous and absurd and just very silly. But also you're a little nervous because they're going to the council and they're getting charged with criminal charges. Uh, and then they reveal this iconic vampire council that is made up of actors who are all vampires in other iconic pieces of content. We've got Tilda Swinton from Lovers Left Alive, Evan Rachel Wood from True Blood, where she plays a queen vampire. We've got Wesley Snipes from Blade. And I think about what? <laughs> five or six other actors who are all vampires in other shows or movies. It is absolutely incredible. And then something that just shows how amazing the writers are is that every single one of the actors, their characters in What We Do in the Shadows is their same name. So it is, you know, council member Tilda. So it does beg the question... Are these actors actually vampires who are playing vampires in other movies? And did we actually, just not know the entire right. time? So, ugh, just 10 out of 10 job getting incredible guest stars and just getting all the little details perfect. I love the council. Tilda Amazing. Swinton seems very vampiric. <laughs> And it is like a great format to have like a bunch of uh, a bunch of cameos. It's like the perfect uh, perfect place to slap a bunch of famous people into your show, just like a little one-off scene. It's mm-hmm. great though that they can get so many like A-listers just for like a quick bit. Like I love that. I mean the the humor in what we do in the shadows is another like obviously compelling reason to watch the show. It is a masterclass in comedy. They blend different types of humor to create such a unique viewing experience. There's slapstick, situational humor, dry wit, obviously a bit of dark humor thrown in there for good measure. And it takes this this grandeur and this horror that's often associated with vampires and juxtaposes it with the banality of everyday life. I mean, imagine an ancient vampire struggling to understand the concept of a creepy paper or a crepe paper, <laughs> or a powerful bloodsucker <laughs> trying to keep her house clean for a visit from the vampire council. I mean, these situations are absurd, which is what makes them so funny. Uh, I mean, the show is not just a triumph in front of the camera. There's plenty of magic happening behind the scenes as well. The set design and costumes, for instance, I mean, that adds a layer, another layer of authenticity to the show. The vampire's house is filled with all these ancient artifacts, this gothic architecture, this overall spooky aesthetic that perfectly complements the character's out-of-time sensibilities. So Madeline and I were recently uh, discussing the effects. And so, so some of the CG is absolutely like Hollywood blockbuster level quality. But as an interesting contrast... Almost all of the characters that are creatures or monsters are all puppets. Like it's all like uh, like live action, like puppetry or modeling or people in, uh, you know, makeup. And like some of it looks pretty darn good. And some of it is just comically over the top and ridiculous. But as always, the show is super self-aware about it. Uh, One of the oldest vampires is known as the Sire. And he ends up in a failing vampire nightclub turned haunted house, basically playing himself 
he scares some patrons of this haunted house. And then one of them, it, they're just like totally unfazed by this. And they say that he looks like a cheap Halloween costume purchased off of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember this scene at all, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and he's just like this like hor- horrible monster is just like so disappointed about this that his his true physical form wouldn't scare some young kids. But it's made even better because in the first few episodes where they're introducing the sire, they like kind of tease him and they make him out to be just absolutely terrifying. Kids these days are so jaded. (laughs) Can't do anything to impress them. Absolutely desensitized. Uh, Totally. The internet ruined vampiric beasts for everyone. Have you, uh, did you look up any behind the scenes uh, special effects like VFX break breakdowns or anything for the show? You know, I haven't. No. Yeah, but it's something I want to look into because the the guy, the vampire um, that gets like burned and then buried, but he's still alive. And mm-hmm. then because he's like, that's like in the it. second episode or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very that's very early on. I'd like to see how they do some of those effects because like there's times where he's like he's just like the upper half of somebody. And so sometimes I think like his lower half is in a couch. And then other times I think they built like a puppet of him that like Guillermo is controlling because he's like held up on his arm. <laughs> so they, they definitely do some pretty good practical effects. I saw some a little bit of behind the scenes stuff of like some of the the wire work like when they're flying up to like fourth story windows and they had like the actual actors on wires flying up. So it seems like at least on, on that front, they may have done some of their own like minor stunts, which is pretty cool. Like anytime you get the actors to do stuff like that, it just always looks, just looks so much better. Wow. That's pretty impressive. I'm feeling a part two coming on. We'll have to do another one just to go over all of the effects. (laughs) I mean, I'm probably gonna have to go and watch all I'm at to start over because it's been a while, but I I feel like now after hearing you guys talk about it, I'm going to need to go and watch the entire five season run. Absolutely. I feel like when you're doing it, I so I have a theory on why I think what we do in the shadows is so much better than other vampire content. So I'm sure you guys as millennials, you fully grew up in the vampire heartthrob era that I did. You, you know, were obsessed with Twilight, obsessed with True Blood, obsessed with vampire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, but when you go back and you watch some of these things, they all seem a little ridiculous. There's a lots of eye rolling. The effects aren't there. Some of the plot points just seem a little ridiculous. I mean, if you watch Twilight, you feel it the entire time and it makes you really sad that you were so in love with it for so many years. But oh, I think... <laughs> It was actually Team Jacob, but I get it. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that if you were on Team Edward also. <laughs> yeah, that feels right. It feels right. But I think that what we do in the shadows is so great because I think with vampire content, you have a relatable to ridiculous to eye roll ratio. And so when you're watching something like Twilight, there are so many things that you end up just rolling your eyes to so much that it it outweighs all of the great vampire things and all of the great action and the great love stories. But with what we do in the shadows, you constantly have things 
just like with the monsters and the gore, where the gore is so good, the special effects are so good that it's amazing to watch. They're ridiculously amazing. And then you have ridiculous monsters, so it's hilarious. They lean so far into the ridiculous that it totally overshadows any eye rolling that could happen. And then you have situations like Colin Robinson, which this concept <laughs> of an energy vampire, it's new. It's different from other genres. We haven't heard of new types of vampires. It's so cool. And also a completely ridiculous thing that there is just a vampire out there that's boring you to death, but also incredibly relatable because we all have a Colin Robinson in our lives. And it makes you wonder Everybody if vampires are Robinson. among us. So yes. you, when you rewatch it, I want you to think about the ratio and just think how relatable it is and how ridiculous it is. And that's why it is so much better than the other vampire content we're seeing out there right now. And they're also referencing and touching on all the tropes from all of those mm -hmm. different pieces of vampire content. I mean, it, like that, that's part of the self-awareness of the show. I just it came after all those things. So all that groundwork of the things that are cool about vampiric stories and also all the ridiculous things from twilight and from Buffy and all these things that are, have just kind of paved the way and set up vampire lore and pop culture. It's all referenced in what we do in the shadows. And it seems like that's a big part of why they're making the show. Cause they want to, cause they want to like touch on and make fun of and mock it all. And, it just makes it better when you see something like, oh, I remember this being referenced in like a Anne Rice book or something. Who, first of all, I think you might be uh, severely underestimating how old I am. Uh, not a millennial, but <laughs> my vampires that I w was totally into and loved the lore of was the Anne Rice books. Uh, when I first got a uh, like an e-reader on my phone, I got my first smartphone. I could download all of the Anne Rice books for free. And at a certain point, I definitely got to the point where I was like, I don't really care about what's happening, at, you know, once Lestat's story was over. But the Lestat lore and uh, all of the, uh, like the way that he developed his powers and his eons long life and how he went through phases of basically like rock star phase where he was at the top of his game and then times where he was hibernating for like 500 years like he was tired of being immortal that stuff anytime i watch vamp vampire content or read vampire content it's always like that stuff is in the back of my mind and that's the that's the kind of stuff that i'm always looking for like shades of Anne rice in my vampire content is that and, uh, yeah, interview like, with a vampire is that the Anne rice stories yep mm -hmm. okay. that's the that was the first book and then uh there are a I think there are like three or four books that follow Lestat. There's like the Vampire Lestat. There's the Queen of the Damned. And I think mm, there's okay. uh, there's one other, I can't remember the name of it, but it follows like his entire timeline from like Interview with the Vampire. It touches on when he became a vampire. And then uh, it talks about like how he, like he would pursue these other vampires that had powers that he wanted and then he would, kill and consume them and drink their blood and then he would absorb you know whatever it is that they they had developed from being alive since like the roman era or from the egyptian era and so he just like builds this catalog of vampiric powers like unlike any creature or any be being that's ever existed before and that stuff i've also seen like 
shadows of Anne Rice through all the other vampire content because it was so influential in that uh, in that genre. Well, you bring up a good point that Madeline and I kind of discussed as well is that you couldn't really have something like be this funny and this relatable and this and have like such a good understanding of the world building that they do without having all of this vampire lore, vampire pop culture ingrained in us, plus all the mockumentaries. So it's like it's great when you have an epic piece of content that relies heavily on having like the entire structure or environment laid out for you by other like pieces of content and being familiar with it. Like it just, it's, it just shows like it takes an elevated viewer to appreciate it. And it has to be like an elevated piece of content to rely so heavily on uh, so much background. Yeah. Like total mastery of that genre. For sure. Genre. Absolutely. Well, something you haven't touched on. And I'm, yeah. I'm curious to see if you guys are going to mention it is the theme song. I, it you wasn't guys, in our outline. No. Because maybe you should go back and listen to it again. Because usually whenever I watch like a TV show, I always watch the credits on the first episode. And then I just skip them every other time. Because I want to see like what they put into the credits. Because nowadays credits are like basically like little music videos about the show basically but typically it's either the music or the editing or something i'm just like yeah it's not worth my time after the first time through but what we do in the shadows their theme song i think it's only like 25 seconds or something it's super short but like the song is so catchy and the editing is really awesome it's a song that i've like even now today like sometimes it's just like rolling through my head so uh you should go back and check that out again, Brett. And I think like with your musical background, if you uh, go into it with like uh, an ear for it actually being something that's worthy of not being skipped, it might, uh, might, looks like it's, it might uh, snag you. Looks like it's from a uh, 60s folk song called You're Dead by Norma. <laughs> you're dead, you're dead, you're dead and out of this world. I do that's like when awesome they song. when they tie it into the seat like they have they change the intro sometimes to like tie it into the story for the episode. Gosh, I love that. You know, something else that's awesome about the the show um is that it's it's known for its improvisational style. So they're actually all encouraged to ad lib, you know, some of the dialogue, they bring their own ideas to the table. So a lot of the like great moments are totally spontaneous and just authentic and just knowing so much of it is the chemistry and this comedy is created on the fly. It adds another dimension to the viewing experience for me. Like it definitely makes me appreciate the creativity and originality even more. Well, let's get a little bit into the unexpected depth of the show before we wrap this puppy up. So at first glance, What we do in the shadows might seem just like a simple comedy about vampires trying to fit into the modern world, but if you look closer, you'll find that it's much more than that. The show is surprisingly deep, exploring themes of loneliness, the quest for power, the fear of irrelevance, and the struggle for identity. For instance, the vampires, despite their their, uh, immortality, they often grapple with feelings of loneliness and isolation. They're stuck in a world that's moved on without them, and it's a world that they don't fully understand. This adds a layer of poignancy to the show, making the characters more relatable. Josh, 
All of these elements came together for a standout delight that has cultivated a dedicated fan base for a good reason. Fans appreciate the show's originality, its lovable characters, its ability to consistently deliver laughs. I mean, they've created fan art, hosted viewing parties, and even dressed up as their favorite characters for Halloween, like Madeline's sister, Chloe, and her boyfriend, Nate. Yes, Chloe absolutely (laughs) loves dressing up for Halloween, and Nate does not. So I'm sure you can guess which vampires they each were. <laughs> uh, was Chloe uh, Nadja? She or was. was Chloe Nando the Relentless? <laughs> Chloe was a great Nadja, wig and everything. And Nate was a fantastic Colin Robinson, wearing all clothing he already owned. <laughs> vampire. <laughs> That's really good. I mean, that, uh, this level of engagement, I think, really speaks volumes about the show's quality and its impact on viewers like me. In a world saturated with content, what we do in the shadows stands out like a vampire in the sunlight. Woo, they sparkle. <laughs> so many sparkles. It's not afraid to be different. It takes risks and it really just pushes the boundaries for the comedy genre. It's a show that will make you laugh, make you think, and make you look at vampires in a whole new light. Maybe you'll be more attracted to them. Maybe you'll just appreciate all of the effort that they've gone into making themselves over the past hundreds of years. Maybe we we can get you on Team Edward. Get you more attracted to vampires and less attracted to werewolves. I'm pretty sure Laszlo is converting all of us to be more attracted to vampires. As we know, he became a vampire to drink blood and to fuck forever. So that's right. He's got it covered. Oh, man. I love it when uh, you bring a piece of content that I'm already sold on because now I'm like, it gives me an excuse to go back and watch it again. And, uh, having not finished it the first time through, like I have a real, I have a real problem with sticking with long form comedy content for some reason. Like I've started watching community. I've started watching parks and rec. I've started watching, uh, it's always sunny. And I've, I watched probably more of what we do in the shadows than any of those. But at a certain point, like I feel like I always fall off on comedy content because it's most of what I do is like, if I'm watching shows, I'm doing it late at night and uh, there's just something comforting about a nice Evil Dead, you know, <laughs> when I'm trying to go to sleep. I don't get that same kind of like warm, fuzzy, I'm afraid to have dark places in my house behind me feeling when I watch comedy. But uh, you want to you convulse in your sleep is what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, yeah. more than I already do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember my dreams, but uh, according to my wife, they must all be bad. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe what you're missing is some blood and some gore. I mean, what we do in the shadows has everything. It's got innovative storytelling, unique characters, stellar performances, unexpected depth, all the makings of a must watch show. And so I think it's perfect. You've got the blood and the hilarity and you can add this to your ever engorged queue of content. (laughs) Brett, you don't want to see how engorged my cue is, all right, buddy? (laughs) Uh, Yes, but I'm definitely now, 
after talking about it and remembering how much I loved it and how much I enjoyed it. That that's like really all the motivation I need to go back and watch it again. And uh, I'll try. I got to finish Undone season two, and now I got to go and watch what we do in the shadows as well. Um, yeah, is there anything else you guys want to say about it? Pretty Madeline, good. what do you think? <laughs> I think that's everything from me. It, what we do in the shadows is just a must watch. Such a great show, and it, you gotta rewatch it so you can catch up on seasons four and five. I will do that now. And also, I gotta say, Madeline, I'm more than impressed with your online contentology degree. I really, <laughs> coming from East Coast high society contentology training, I was really, I was really thinking poorly of the this new online generation but uh i'm glad to see that the (laughs) university of phoenix is doing good work and uh at this point i would encourage anyone to go out and get an online contentology degree because you nailed it it was very good very well presented and uh, a few more episodes like that and maybe uh, somebody like brett and i can officially certify you as a contentologist uh we'll see dream a broken dream (laughs) Yes, it's the highest honor that can be bestowed upon a human. So uh, keep up the good work, and then we'll uh, we'll bring you back on again, and we'll get you fully certified. We'll get you over this whole online thing. Does that sound good? <laughs> that sounds amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks, Brett. Thanks, Madeline. That was awesome. Uh, really entertaining and you worked your magic on me because now I am going to have to go back and finish the show. So thank you guys. And thank everyone else out there in uh, contentology land. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. Please check out our uh, Facebook and Instagram pages at the content Clearinghouse. Also, if you have any questions or uh, comments, recommendations, you can email us at content, contentology. I wish at uh, contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, thanks. Stay tuned. We love you guys. Bye.